Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dotchis-Marmette. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Happy September! Fall's just around the corner, and that means it's time for our quarterly seven-day community liver detox. So we'd love to have you join our supportive community to take your health to the next level. I know these past few months have been so emotional. There's been so much uncertainty in the state of the world. Just all the additional stress that resulted in, has resulted in so many of us, including Marnie and myself, um, getting off track with our healthy habits. And really, sometimes we're, you know, it's very easy to go back to the old ways of eating and some of the emotional attachment that food plays. And as much as we've loved, like, cooking so many wonderful meals at home and having time to bake and make comfort foods and summer cocktails, we both feel like we need this reset. And we really hope that you'll join us on this um, experience because it really has amazing benefits. And I think being part of the community is not only beneficial for all of our participants, but it really helps Marnie and I too. We thrive off of the support and energy of this group. So we'd love for you to join us. You can head on over to our website to sign up or get more information. And that's www.theartoflivingwell.us slash program. And the detox starts September 21st. It's seven days, ends September 27th. And we would truly love to have you join us. And if you're wondering how you can possibly make it seven whole days without sugar or alcohol, drop us a note, message us with questions, but we will be there to support you every step of the way. And we have to do it too. So we're all in it together. (laughs) And before we get into today's conversation, we have one request. If you are enjoying these episodes, we would absolutely love for you to leave us a rating and review. You can just head on over to Apple Podcast. Doing this really helps improve the search capabilities and allows more people to find our podcast, which will allow us to grow and share this information with more people. And of course, if you enjoy an episode, we would love for you to share it with anyone you think may benefit from the information. Thanks so much. Hello, and welcome to episode number 43 of the Art of Living Well podcast. We are thrilled to bring you today's guest, Joe Connolly who is a man on a mission to help women reduce painful periods and provide hope that their monthly pain isn't all in their head. Joe is the founder and CEO of Vasana Health, a digital care program and app for women with endometriosis and other pelvic pain conditions. Joe started Vasana after watching his mom suffer from endometriosis for 25 years. After working for Boston Scientific as a medical engineer, Joe left his full-time job to pursue this passion of his full-time. 
In today's conversation, Joe shares his vivid recollection of his mother's pain and memories of her screaming in bed and throwing up because the pain of her menstrual cycle was so bad. His mother's condition was undiagnosed for two decades, during which time Joe believed that the monthly pain she suffered was a normal thing that happened to all women. His aunt and grandma also suffered from endometriosis. We love how Vasana Health School is to focus on addressing the underlying root cause of the pain versus simply taking birth control and undergoing surgery, which really only suppresses the symptoms. Joe shares many different lifestyle changes in today's episode to address the symptoms that honestly can help anyone with unwanted menstrual menstrual symptoms, not just someone diagnosed with endometriosis. I think it's fair to say that most, if not all of us, know of someone who has had to miss work or other commitments because of their painful period. And this episode today will give so many women hope that the pain is not all in their heads. This new program that Joe has poured his heart and soul into is finally giving women hope. And it also gives them a clear path as to how they can reduce their symptoms and finally live pain-free. This episode is one that everyone will learn from regardless of whether you or anyone you know suffers from endometriosis or other related conditions. And with that, let's dive right into this inspiring and enlightening conversation with Joe Conley. Oh, we are so excited to have you on the Art of Living Well podcast today. Thank you so much for taking time for our conversation. Um, we, were, we were just introduced fairly recently through a mutual friend. And, you know, Marty and I were so impressed with how passionate you were to take a very personal experience that you're going to share with us today and turn it into a powerful tool to help women everywhere. So we're just really, we're really excited to be able to share all of what you're doing with our audience. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast today. I really appreciate the the chance to tell our story a little bit and raise some awareness about an issue that's really near and dear to my heart. So with that, can you just jump right in and start by sharing a little bit about your background and your story that ultimately led you to found Vasana Health? Yeah, so growing up, probably the most pertinent experience that I had is I watched my mother suffer from this really mysterious menstrual pain condition. And so basically the entire time up until I was in high school, whenever she would be on her period, she would have such horrible menstrual pain that she was bed bound for three or four days out of every single month. She would be vomiting because her pain was so bad. And despite this, when she would go to the doctor, she basically got told everybody's period hurts, take some ibuprofen, you're being a wimp, go home and tough it out. So that was, that was basically when I was growing up, I thought that that's what menstruation was because I thought that was normal and I didn't have another woman in my immediate family. And eventually she ended up at the age of 45. Um, so she, this had gone on for about two and a half decades at the age of 45. She finally saw a physician on accident, basically who diagnosed her with endometriosis, which is what she had. She had endometriosis, uterine fibroids, a few other things. And so it is really crazy. And so, um, I ended up going to college and grad school for biomedical engineering and working at Boston Scientific and started working on these digital health solutions 
um, that were basically empowering patients to take control of their care and making sure that patients were properly educated so they knew what best practice care looked like and they could ask for it. And so I started to think, hey, this would have been an awesome tool and an awesome idea for my mom to have something like this back in the day. And so I started to dig more and more and I saw that endometriosis and related menstrual pain conditions are a massive problem. Um, the typical statistic you hear is about one in 10 women have endometriosis. If you account for other conditions like uterine fibroids, adenomyosis that also cause similar symptoms, we think that up to 20% of menstruating uh, people have some sort of menstrual pain condition. But it's just simply not talked about because periods are taboo. No one wants to hear about your period pain. Um, and people just don't like talking about it. And so the, the way that Vasana came to be is basically I married the experience that I had with my mom watching her grow up with my professional experience at Boston Scientific in creating these digital health solutions. Oh, wow. That, I mean, that is so amazing that you were able to take <clears throat> your passions and what you were studying and doing for work and, like you said, marry it with something so personal to you and to um, move forward to help other women. Can you tell us a little bit about like what the services are that you're providing to women? Yeah, so uh, I'll take a step back and just talk about a, a normal experience for a woman with endometriosis and what she kind of goes through. So the diagnostic delay is on average 10 years. And during this 10 year period, women are bouncing from general practitioner to gynecologist, really desperately trying to find someone who will listen to them and take their pain seriously. Women feel very dismissed. Uh, they feel like they're told that the pain is all in their head. Uh, and they really just want a provider who's going to actually listen to them. And then on top of that, what they actually receive is hormonal birth control and ineffective surgeries. And so some of these women get, they, they literally call them exploratory surgeries. Um, sometimes they can get hysterectomies, which are not a cure for endometriosis. So sometimes women lose their fertility in their 20s before having a family. Um, and so what we do at Vasana is the first thing that we've done is put together a list of physicians who are known to believe women that we source from patient advocacy groups and other clinicians. And we also believe that they will provide provide best practice care, including surgical care if it's needed. And then the second thing that we've done is we've worked with a pelvic floor physical therapist, a clinical psychologist, a dietitian, and gyne uh, gynecologist, and actually created this protocol that involves diet, pelvic floor physical therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, and disease education with the aim of helping women change their lifestyle in order to improve pain outcomes. And so what we've done is we've really scoured the, the clinical literature to figure out what, are, what is actually clinically proven to improve pain levels and other symptoms that are associated with endometriosis so that women can start to make small changes to improve their lifestyle that's going to result in reduced pain. And the reason that this, this clinically-based program is so important is because I'm sure you can imagine these women are going from gynecologists and they're not getting the answers that they need. And so they end up spending hours on Google, hours on Facebook, hours on Instagram, trying to figure out what has worked for other people and is that going to work for me? And as I'm sure you guys know, what works for one person is not necessarily going to work for another person and it really needs to be personalized. And so we actually have a health coach that reaches out to these women and helps walk them through their program and helps them identify what changes are going to be the most impactful for them based on their personalized goals. This sounds so wonderful. Wow. So before we dive into this a little more, can we back up a second 
and just talk a little bit about what endometriosis is for those listeners who may not be aware because it's not talked about? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great idea. And so what endometriosis is, it's um, the, the lining of the uterus is called the endometrium, and that is what's shed during your period. And endometriosis is when tissue similar to the endometrium is found outside the uterus. And so it can be found on your bladder, it can be found on your bowel, they found it on the diaphragm, the lungs, people have found it all, like pretty much any location in the body that you can imagine. And so there's different theories as to how this occurs. Um, but really one of the reasons that it's difficult to diagnose is because if you have this on your bowel, you can have bowel issues like painful defecation during menstruation. Or if you have it on your bladder, you can have painful urination or feeling like you always have to go. And so it causes this whole array of symptoms that makes it very difficult to diagnose. And so people are trying to raise awareness that it's, it's not just painful periods, it's painful periods plus all these other diseases or symptoms, excuse me. And is so, that why it takes so long for an average woman to be diagnosed? You so, said it, it could be two decades or... Yeah, so that's part of it. So the it makes for a difficult clinical diagnosis, right? And so physicians might get one lecture when they're in medical school about endometriosis, and it usually doesn't cover what you need to know. And so a typical doctor just isn't well versed in all these different symptoms. And then that's compounded by the fact that there's not like an easy blood test that you can do to say, is it endometriosis? So you can get diagnosed uh, via ultrasound or via MRI. Um, the gold standard of diagnosis is actually surgery, which is why so many of these surgeries are performed. Um, and so until you really are able to take out that tissue and look at it under a microscope and confirm that it's endometriosis, it's really difficult to diagnose. And so all that combined and the taboo on top of that and women feeling like painful periods are just normal when they're not, um, th all those things together lead to that long diagnosis. So am I hearing you right when you're saying an OB-GYN who goes to medical school and you know does their training in OB-GYN, they're learning about endometriosis maybe for an hour and then beyond that you know when a woman comes in and is talking about menstrual pain and all this stuff they're saying it could be in their heads that's yeah yeah absolutely there's all sorts of research that's been done that say that women's encounters with the healthcare system and specifically ob is that they they are told that they're dismissed and that the pain is all in their head. Um, I think some of this has to do with the way that the US healthcare system is set up, uh, but it's also a problem internationally. And so usually if you think about what gynecologists do, they actually focus a lot on the obstetrics piece. And the reason that they do that is because it's very, very lucrative to them. Uh, hospitals make a lot of money from delivering babies. And right now, the gynecology aspect of things in surgical gynecology is not very lucrative. And so they are incentivized to focus more on the obstetric side of things. And they kind of leave out the gynecology side of things because gynecological surgeries just aren't very well reimbursed. So doctors aren't making a lot of money money from doing endometriosis surgeries. And so what happens is some of these gynecologists are only doing one or two surgeries every year. And so if you're doing that low of volume, and it's a very complicated surgery, right? You're trying to look around in the abdominal cavity and check the intestine, check the uh, bladder, check the uterus, check the ovaries. It's really, really difficult. And so um, a gynecologist that isn't doing high volume in surgery is not going to be the best surgeon for you. And so there is a subspecialty of gynecologists 
gynecologist, gynecologists that do a fellowship in something called minimally invasive gynecological surgery, so MIGS. And so that specific group is a subset of gynecologists who have a special interest in benign gynecological diseases like endometriosis, like uterine fibroids, like adenomyosis. Wow. This is a lot to digest. I know. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's say, you know, a woman finds you, finds your, you know, finds Visana Health. You have an app, right? And you have kind of the four key pillars of integrated care. Can you tell us a little bit about what those four pillars entail and maybe how your system has shown that it reduces symptoms more than like a traditional procedure? Yeah, absolutely. So the four pillars are pelvic floor physical therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, diet and nutrition, and then disease education. And so I'm actually going to go backwards, but I'll start with disease education. And the reason that this is so important is because we're educating women on why you might want to avoid a hysterectomy. So um, like I mentioned, endometriosis is defined by that tissue found outside the uterus, and a hysterectomy is removal of the uterus. And so you're not actually doing anything to affect the endometriosis tissue, and you can still have pain after a hysterectomy. And so we educate them on things like that. We give them tools to take to their doctor to say, here's how you can tell whether this person's going to be a good surgeon. Here's the questions you should be asking in your appointment, those types of things. Then what we work on with them, a lot of women want to improve their diet. And by the time women find us currently, they've usually read online, you know, you should cut out soy, you should cut out dairy, you should cut out all meat, you should cut out all these different things because they might have read a blog post or something else that states that. And so women have a very, very restricted diet by the time they usually get to us. And so our nutrition and diet information is focused more on what you should be eating instead of everything that you should be cutting out. Um, honestly, if I were to liken it to anything, it's very similar to the Mediterranean diet. Diet. And the reason that diet influences endometriosis is because it's a hormonally driven disease. So it's an estrogen dominant disease. Estrogen is what's leading to this pain. And so if you're able to reduce the level of those hormones in your body, then you can by effect have reduced pain. Um, I'll go to pelvic floor physical therapy next. So what pelvic floor physical therapy does and what we focus on is pelvic floor relaxation. And it's difficult to like visualize what the pelvic floor is, but we are sitting on our pelvic floor right now. So it's kind of basically right at the bottom. Um, and what happens is as you're in pain over time, you tend to tense up your muscles and that can lead to something called myofascial pain. And that basically mm -hmm. just means your muscles are in a constant state of contraction over time. And that contraction uh, is similar to kind of like back pain. If you can imagine, you can probably feel like you have a, a back kink and you could get prescribed stretches to stretch out your back. You can do the exact same thing with your pelvic floor. Um, and then the very last part is cognitive behavioral therapy, which really helps women learn to live with chronic pain. And so it's different cognitive techniques like relaxation, mindfulness, those type of things, which might not reduce the pain itself, but it can help reduce the sensation of pain and the distress caused by pain. You can imagine that if you are living with chronic pain for multiple years and you're basically being told that the pain is all in your head, it has a serious impact on your mental health. Lots of women start to actually wonder like, maybe I am crazy. Maybe this is all in my head because I'm just, I've gone to five different 
different gynecologists and they all say the same thing. So maybe I am making it up. I don't know. And so that type of thinking can actually create depression and anxiety that just actually causes further pain or at least perception of pain because of that. And so actually 90% of women with endometriosis screen positive for both depression and anxiety. And it's probably mostly due to a living with chronic pain and then the trauma that they endure when they're trying to go out and get proper health care. Yeah, this is, this is crazy. This impacts so, so much of someone's life, including their quality of life, obviously, and the ripple effect. Um, you know, there's so many questions I have here to ask, but maybe just, can we talk a little bit about how someone can even access you? Like, how do they get your app? Can they just go download it? Do they have to go through their insurance company? Yeah. So we have a few different routes of distribution. So ultimately what we're looking to do is to sell to insurance companies and employers. So employers specifically, because they actually pay for healthcare in the United States, Mm -hmm. and they also want women to be in the office and to be productive. You can imagine that, you know, if you're in serious pain for multiple days every single month, it's going to have a major impact on your productivity. And so we kind of have aligned incentives with those entities because we can save all these different trips to gynecologists. We can save these ineffective repetitive surgeries. And ultimately it's insurance companies and employers who are paying for that. And so the way that we want to end up distributing is by working with those entities who will cover the entire cost of the program for women. And then it will be free for all uh, patients that want access to it. Um, In the meantime, we've had lots of women say, I don't want to wait for my employer to adopt this program, give it to me now. So we also have a direct consumer offering that you can look at by just viewing our website, where you can apply. And if we think that you're a good fit for our program, then you can just pay us directly as well. Okay, that's great. Because I know there are people out there that maybe they don't work or, you know, their insurance plans are right. not such that they can directly access you. Um, so, so what would make a person not a good fit for your program? So a lot of it comes down to motivation and where they are in their journey. So sometimes women have been through this for 15, 20 years. They have read everything that there is to know, and they're already very far down the pathway. Um, Ultimately, we want people as early on as we can possibly get them in their journey because we think that that's where we can have the most impact and the best impact. So a lot Mm -hmm. of times we do try to help those people who are so far on in their journey. Sometimes they just want to track their symptoms over time or they just want one little piece of our program because, you know, they'll say, I already have a physical therapist. I'm already making all the diet changes. I just want this one aspect. And so we want to make sure that women are interested in the entire program and trying to make these changes in their lives. Um, Ultimately, the success of our program is predicated on people making changes in their lives. So mm-hmm. we're an app-based program, but it doesn't matter how you're interacting in, with the app. What matters is that you're going out and making changes in, in the real world. And so we want to make sure that people are also dedicated to making those types of changes. And you have health coaches, like you mentioned, that help. So what's the interaction like cause from an accountability standpoint is kind of what you're getting to. I have yep. all this information. I have the app, but if I don't do anything with it, that I'm not going to see the benefits. So how does the user interact with your providers and the health coaches? 
Yeah. So the health coaches reach out to women as soon as they register and basically say, what are you trying to accomplish with this? What are your top three goals? Some women want to reduce their use of birth control because they don't like hormonal contraception and they just want to get off of it. Some women just want to reduce their pain levels and do whatever they can to reduce their pain levels. Some women want to specifically work on their diet or improve their mental health. And so we work with them to create a goal setting and accountability structure to say every week, what are the small changes? changes that you are going to make in your life that are going to tie to these goals based on the learnings within the application. And then from there, we work with them to say, did you actually meet those goals next week? Um, and if you didn't, no blame, no judgment, but what were the barriers that you encountered and how can we try to reduce those barriers so that you can implement these changes this upcoming week? And so we try to stay very positive and we try to stay very much aligned to what, whatever that specific user wants. That's wonderful. I mean, that's really the key for people to make changes, to have that accountability and to have that um, time to kind of make those slow changes and talk to talk it through with somebody else. So that's wonderful that you're doing that. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's what a lot of women said initially when we didn't have health coaching is like, I need this layer of accountability. I can go and read that I should try to be reducing my sugar, but then I go out into the real world and I don't actually change my habits or my behaviors. Mm -hmm. So you talk about all the four pillars and that obviously everyone is unique, everyone's body is different and your symptoms. Are there one or two like key areas or maybe foods that they could eat that would help the broader population? You know, if you just had to provide like a little nugget of. Yeah, so one big thing that we always recommend that's very, very well studied and has very robust evidence supporting it is A, to try to eliminate or reduce red meat in your diet. And so there's a very direct correlation between red meat consumption and menstrual pain. the other thing there is if you're not the kind of person that likes to reduce red meat and you, you know, you still want your burger or something like that, then choose grass fed red meat mm-hmm. because specifically grass fed red meat, it has to do with omega three and omega six balances mm-hmm. and just grass fed uh, beef is a lot better than non grass fed beef. And so this mm-hmm. is, this goes back to, we're trying to make these changes work for women where it's not eliminate everything, but mm-hmm. if you need to make this decision, then choose grass fed over something else. Um, and then the other thing that we say is try to re- replace that beef with uh, some type of fish. So salmon, tuna, those types of things because of the omega-3 fatty acids associated with it. And they actually have direct impact on the uterus and contractions which ultimately leads to cramping. And so those two things have really, really robust evidence behind them. Oh, I love so that. I mean, would you say it's the omegas then that are reducing the cramping? Yes, it's, it's definitely the omegas that are reducing the cramping. So the other thing we say is we also know I don't like fish that much. I have to like try my absolute hardest to eat salmon. <laughs> um, but if you don't like eating fish, then you can talk to your provider about taking an omega-3 supplement because that's, that's another yes. option. That was my next question for you. What about, (laughs) you know, recommending an omega supplement? Yep, Yep. absolutely. Well, we're firm believers in that. Marnie and I both take omega threes and yeah. Yeah. Um, You talk about like wanting to get people early on. So what's the average age that someone's diagnosed with endometriosis? Um, So usually uh, onset of symptoms is around the onset of menses. So, you know, some people will start having symptoms around 14, 15. They're usually put on birth control at that point. Um, And so another reason that leads to this uh, long diagnostic delay is a lot of women have some degree of menstrual pain 
at the very beginning of menses, especially. And so up to 90% of women have this. And a lot of times if it's severe enough, then they just say, take some type of birth control and that should be good enough to get you on your way. And then eventually you, you basically just see progression and progression and progression and progression where you're not actually treating the underlying cause. So birth control can kind of help you suppress your symptoms. Um, but as long as you're eating poorly, doing all these other things, your symptoms are just going to continually increase as you get older and older. And so a lot of women might get finally diagnosed, you know, in their late twenties, early thirties, um, and then start this huge cycle of surgery after surgery, after surgery, after surgery. Um, so the statistics are that 40% of women have at least three surgeries and, I've talked with women that have had 15, 17 different surgeries. And again, it's oh all gosh. done by unskilled providers. And so that's why we try to say, you know, these lifestyle changes are things that you should be doing as early as possible to try to control your symptoms as early as possible. And so let's, I guess for someone that doesn't maybe have endometriosis and that's not the root cause, but just in general, some of these tips that you're sharing and strategies, it sounds like can help anyone with menstrual cramps, just if you just have what's considered normal menstrual cramps, even though it's not, you know, if they start eating a little bit different diet and reducing stress and other things that can help them even outside of specifically endometriosis. And I know you're also kind of focused on some other related conditions. Yeah, absolutely. And to be completely honest, when you actually read through the diet section of the app, I think it would help with cardiovascular health. I think it helps with almost anything that you can imagine. It's just essentially eating a healthy diet. So a lot of it is there's a link between your microbiome and um, creation of estrogen in your body. So you want to have a healthy microbiome. Well, you also want a healthy microbiome for all sorts of other reasons too, right? Like it can help with colon cancer. It can help with cardiovascular outcomes. It can help with diabetes. And so a lot of these things tend to be tied together. And by improving your diet in one manner, you're probably taking on a whole bunch of different problems. Absolutely. I mean, we agree with that wholeheartedly. So um, changing gears a little bit, you're a man dealing with very female-focused medical issues. <laughs> um, I'm sure that's provided a lot of really interesting conversations for you. Yes. And I'm curious if you've had any like funny stories that you can share or um, any kind of crazy conversations or unique situations you've been in as a man, you know, talking about women's health and some of these like taboo-like subjects. Yeah, absolutely. So I've tried to, I've worked with some people in the past. So funny story where, you know, 65 year old man or something like that, that isn't just used to hearing about these things. And so I come in and I'm presenting to benefits managers or something like there. And I'm up there and I'm talking about severe menstrual pain, heavy menstrual bleeding, all these <laughs> symptoms and their faces are just like blank. It's like, what are you saying to me? This is not what my friends say to me on the golf course. Um, and it's just, it's priceless every time. It's like, I can almost tell like it's coming just the, oh my God, what am I what did I sign up for by taking this meeting? Um, and then on the other side of things, the other thing that's been really interesting for me is as soon as I tell friends, family members, those types of things, it's like all of a sudden the floodgates are open and they're telling me about all their different problems that I never knew about. And so to me, that basically just goes 
further to show that people don't like to share these things. You know, people mm -hmm. might talk about their diabetes, but people aren't talking about their heavy or normal menstrual bleeding. They're not talking about their uterine fibroids and menstrual pain just because it is still so taboo. But as soon as I started to talk about it, there was almost this sense of security amongst women and they were so much more open about sharing their stories. And it just completely opened my eyes to how big of a problem it actually is. Yeah, it's probably a sense of relief. Like there's like, oh my gosh, there's someone out there that understands me. I'm not crazy, exactly. like I've been told before by even my doctor. And maybe there's actually something I can do about it and take my own health into my own hands. Yeah, absolutely. And originally when I was doing uh, interviews with people that had endometriosis to kind of validate the problem and get input into the solution, two of my friends I had talked separately about had endometriosis. And then I was like, hey, let's all get together and talk about this. They had never, they are also friends and they had never put together that they are both struggling with the same thing just because they didn't feel comfortable talking about it to anybody. Wow. You're really what is, amazing service. <laughs> what does your mom think about all of this? Oh, my mom is so proud. She loves it. So also my um, grandma had endometriosis. My mom's sister had endometriosis wow. and all just had really poor experiences. And so um, ultimately, you know, I think that they're just proud that I'm doing something related that's improving the health and quality of life for so many people. And then obviously just taking on my own personal experience just takes it to a whole nother level because it just brings a visceral reaction where it's like, Oh my God, you could really save other people from going through what I had to go through. Right. Mm -hmm. And especially as an entrepreneur, I mean, having that passion and that personal experience really can, obviously it motivates you because this is not easy to do starting up right. a new business like this one. Um, but it's obviously doing really well. And can you talk a little bit about when it launched? And then I know you did beta testing through Mayo. Maybe you want to share with us the results. Yeah. So we just launched our application basically February 1st. So late January, early February. Um, we're in a limited launch. And essentially what we were doing is onboarding patients, collecting clinical outcomes, collecting patient experience data, um, doing that type of stuff. And so over the course of the following uh, three months, so we're a 12-week program, then we've been collecting all of these clinical outcomes and improving our product over time. And so we initially launched with uh, pelvic pain specialists in, at Mayo Clinic, at University of North Carolina, at Medical College of Wisconsin, who are basically just saying that their patients should use our app. Um, and so, so far we've seen about a 20% decrease in pain at six weeks and up to a 40% decrease in pain at 12 weeks. Some people are still working on completing the program. So we're still working on collecting that, that additional 12 week data. Um, but we're really, really happy about that. And so we've also made a lot of changes where I did not realize the number of symptoms that these women are suffering from. But for example, we've expanded our symptom tracking to where you can um, monitor pretty much everything that you would want to because these women don't just suffer from menstrual pain, they suffer from um, leg pain and back pain because endometriosis can be on your nerves that shoot leg pain down. Um, they suffer from headaches and migraines and all sorts of interrelated things and having a, a core data set that they can show their physician to say, here's my period and here's how all my different symptoms relate to my period, then that can really give some good clinical information that can help their physicians figure out maybe they have endometriosis in this location specifically. Interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. So just, I have a question about that. So when someone has cramp, menstrual cramps, and let's say they are in the legs, you know, a lot of people talk about belly cramps or whatever, but I do know of people that have them in their legs. So would you say that's more endometriosis? 
<laughs> can't even talk endometriosis related yeah, or not necessarily. It definitely could be. I'd probably say it depends on the severity. Um, and so basically what happens is you just get inflammation. The, the endometriosis lesion causes inflammation. And if it's near a nerve or something like the uterosacral ligament, that can actually cause back pain that radiates down your leg. And I would say any symptom that's fluctuating quite a bit with menstruation and is causing a big quality of life impact, it could definitely be endometriosis. So like I mentioned before, pain with defecation or changes in defecation related to your period or something, A, that's like two taboo topics combined. So women really don't like to talk about both of those combined, but that is a big um, indicator of um, bowel endometriosis, for example. And so having this complete data set would help the physician say, okay, if we are going to do surgery, then I think there could be endometriosis on the bowel and they might order an additional diagnostic test, or they might change their surgical technique to make sure that they don't miss any, uh, endometriosis in those locations. That's great. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about like productivity in the workplace, and obviously you're going into some of these employers to talk about it, but just thinking about like from a very practical standpoint and people, something that employers are concerned about is productivity. So has there been any data or do you have any data that you could share about like lost productivity or I mean, just think about the number of people that suffer from this multiple days a month, but then don't want to communicate why they're sick. So they probably just say they have a cold or a flu or, you know, make up some reason. And then that impacts their quality of life and their mental health. I don't know if you can share anything about that because I'm sure you're using some of that data when you go into the employers to try to pitch, yeah. if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So on average, women with endometriosis miss about three days of work per month, two to three days when you consider all things combined. So they might not be, so there's two different kinds. There's absenteeism, which means you're literally gone from work. And then there's presenteeism, which means you are at work, but you are not bringing your full self to work and you aren't as productive as you should be. So when you combine those two metrics together, on average, women with endometriosis miss about three days of work or aren't productive for about three days of work. Um, the women that I I talk to are very nervous about disclosing their condition because it is a chronic condition that is going to impact their work product. Um, and so when I come in and talk to employers, one big thing that I hit on is to say, there are women who are within your organization who are probably in their 20s and 30s, um, trying to work their way up the ladder and be really successful and have a successful career. And this chronic condition is holding them back. I've had women literally tell me this is something that is really difficult for me to be productive. And, you know, if I have a really important meeting and I have this really severe pain, those two things don't really mix. And then, you know, people might view me poorly. Um, and so there's all sorts of things that employers can do to try to um, improve the lives of their workers with endometriosis between flexible working hours. Obviously, if you are in really severe pain, you want to be home in bed with you know, a heating pad on your belly, not at work trying to grin and bear it. And so flexibility around scheduling big meetings or something like that could be really helpful. Um, and generally, when I come to employers, I say, this is something that shows that you're going to be on the forefront of having female forward benefits, right? So if you have this condition and you, your employer is offering Visana Health, now all of a sudden you're putting those two things together and you're saying, my employer actually really cares about my condition and I can disclose it and try to work with them to figure out a workaround. Because it's, it's not like it's 
um, these women couldn't have successful careers, right? You still have plenty of days where you're going to be really productive. It's just a matter of being flexible about when big meetings are, when big work days are, those types of things, allowing women to work from home if they need to. And having a starter for that conversation could be as easy as offering something like Fasana Health, which shows that you care about really common women's health conditions. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, if they complete your program and can really continue with these protocols, I assume that the condition can be, the symptoms can be mitigated such that they're not missing two to three days a month, ultimately, exactly. right? Right. That's, that is the ultimate goal. And they're not leaving work to go to gynecology appointments. They're not leaving work to go to pelvic floor physical th- therapy appointments. Um, and so all those things combined are what we pitch to employers. So I know that you you know, recently just launched this earlier in the year. And I'm wondering um, if you have any stories that you can share from a woman who's been touched or healed through the use of your program. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the very first things is women say, thank you so much. I feel so heard. So there's almost the sense immediately when they get on the into the program of psychological security. Like finally, I feel like someone is taking me seriously, even though it's just text within a program. Um, finally, someone is believing my pain and empowering me something to do about it. So that's generally the very first feeling that women get when they enter the program. And that's really motivating. And it's like, okay, I can do this. I can overcome these these issues. Um, So for example, one woman that we worked with who has been through not even the entire program, but she figured out, so we we deal with actually a whole slew of underlying conditions that are related. Uh, She had really bad urinary symptoms and through our program figured out that she not only had endometriosis, which she had been treated for, but she also had a condition called interstitial cystitis, which is essentially bladder inflammation is the easy way to think about it. And the first line of treatment for IC is diet changes. And so we basically linked her up with a diagnosis and she immediately started making changes to her, what she ate and what she drank that improved her symptoms right away. And, you know, she had been dealing with this for five, seven years and no one had even ever said that word to her. And she was able to just quickly, you know, within a few weeks figure out, hey, this is something that I have and here's what I can do to change it. Um, just based on my own lifestyle. And then she was able to get scheduled with a urogynecologist to figure out if she needed additional treatment. So she self-referred into a specialist. That's um, awesome. Another woman that we worked with who has now been through the 12-week program um, feels really empowered by what she learned with regards to the treatment. So she was almost thinking about scheduling for a hysterectomy and very quickly decided that hysterectomy probably wasn't going to be a good treatment option for her. And instead, um, so we link patients with local uh, patient advocacy groups so they can build up a sense of uh, community. And we helped her learn ways that she can work with her partner to better improve the pain with intercourse that's very typical with endometriosis patients as well. Um, And on top of that, she was able to make all sorts of changes to her diet and started doing pelvic floor physical therapy. I, I think I tried to calculate how much she had done and it was like 20 hours through the app. And so she had really taken all the different components of the app and really committed to it. And instead of having the surgery, she's really trying to make all these different lifestyle changes that have improved her pain over time. Wow, wonderful. Um, So any, like if there are listeners out there who are suffering, whether they have endometriosis or not, or maybe another one of these other conditions, um, just a couple tips. You mentioned diet and omega-3s and reducing red meat. Anything else from like a lifestyle standpoint that they could start to implement into their lives for to help them slowly maybe start to see some benefits and reduce pain? 
Yeah, absolutely. So ultimately, most chronic pain conditions are inflammatory conditions and endometriosis is no different. So if you have any type of chronic pain, I would recommend trying to be on an anti-inflammatory diet. And so essentially what that means, again, it's just like eating healthy in any other way, but it's eating a lot of vegetables, specifically dark leafy greens like spinach, kale, um, broccoli, cauliflower, all really good. And so what we try to encourage our users is to say, eat at least half of your plate being vegetables and just doing that alone is going to go a long way. Um, trying to reduce sugar is another uh, big thing. Um, and if you do eat sugar, trying to eat it with berries or something similar that have quite a lot of antioxidants, because obviously that can reduce your inflammation as well. Um, I think all those things would go a long way to reducing pain levels, regardless of what type of pain you have. That's great. So I know, um, well, I guess, where can people find you? Yeah, so you can go to vasanahealth.com. It's V-I-S-A-N-A health.com. Um, you can email us at patients at vasanahealth.com. That email actually goes to me, so you'll have direct access to me. Um, and you can find us on Instagram. We have a, a good Instagram following. Uh, it's at vasanahealth. And you awesome. mentioned that if um, people want to email you, that you would give our listeners some sort of special offer. Yeah, absolutely. So we can give uh, all the listeners of this podcast a discount on our program. So our direct consumer offering, um, feel free to email that email. So patients at fasanahealth.com and just mention the art of living well podcast somewhere within uh, that email and we can get you set up. Awesome. Thank you so much. And um, as we wrap up, we like to ask our guests one final question. And that is, what does the art of living well mean to you? Yeah, so the art of living well to me, so I think of wellness through a few different dimensions. So I think of physical wellness and being in good physical shape, uh, both in terms of what you eat, your sleep, and uh, just physical exercise. I think of professional wellness and being successful professionally. I think of mental and spiritual wellness. And then lastly, social and interpersonal wellness. And so the way that I kind of try to tackle wellness is every, I'm very nerdy, but every quarter I set off to make these small changes in my lifestyle that try to basically improve my wellness across those four dimensions. And so I have four different goals that I try to tackle every single quarter and then piece together small behavior changes because the way that I look at wellness is it's not you compared to someone else. Um, comparing yourself to someone else's lifestyle doesn't necessarily help you improve your own. And so I focus very much on trying to make small incremental changes that are embedded within habits that then I can improve over time. And so for example, in the last three months, I've started to try to meditate 10 minutes every single day. And I've been pretty successful with that because that was one of my big uh, goals for this specific quarter. That's wonderful. That's such great yeah. advice. I think yes. I mean, <laughs> Marty and I are firm believers in everything that you said. So thank you for sharing that with our listeners. Um, and we're, just, we're really excited for you to see where this goes. And I, I hope more providers and employers become aware of this service and the amazing, you know, just the benefit that you're providing and the hope that you're providing really right. a lot of people, a lot of women out there. And this is for men to listen to too, right? So oh, absolutely. all the men out there listening, your partners, your wives, your sisters, your mom, whoever, right? Yep. Exactly. Um, let's open up the dialogue and have this be a more acceptable topic to, uh, to discuss. Exactly. You nailed it. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, and we loved having you on our show.
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Joe. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.